Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Before we begin, if you like what you hear on Mile High Report Radio Podcast, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and go ahead and click subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now it's time to get to work. Adam, as bad as the Denver Broncos were on Sunday against the Baltimore Ravens, at least they're not the Jacksonville Jaguars and Urban Meyer. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine being Trevor Lawrence right now? Just, just imagine being Trevor Lawrence. You get drafted by the Jaguars, who are terrible, and you know you're going to get drafted by the, the worst team in the league. They go out and they hire a prolific college quitter because that's what Urban Meyer is. And... He gets a couple of games into the season. We talked about it right before the Jags game when the Broncos played the Jags. We thought maybe he wasn't even going to make it out of that game and he was going to quit and go, you know, fly to USC. Now, he doesn't even he doesn't even want to go home. <laughs> he doesn't even want to go back to to Jacksonville cuz he's he's too busy hanging out in uh, Ohio. There's a, a lot of nice things going on in Ohio apparently for Urban Meyer. I it's just I feel, I do feel for Trevor Lawrence, but I just don't care about Urban Meyer. He is ugh, that's Urban Meyer to me. What's so funny about all of this is you know, I know anyone who listens to this who is on social media knows that NFL Twitter can't agree on anything. There are still people out there who think Patrick Mahomes is not a good quarterback. That's yeah, a weird soon, take, but I, yeah. As soon as it was announced that Shad Khan and the Jacksonville Jaguars were going to hire Urban Meyer, literally everyone is like, this is going to be a catastrophe. Why are you doing this? They can't agree on anything, but on that, they could agree on. And it just keeps getting worse because Mike Mike Silver had a thread about how the players are literally laughing at him as soon as he leaves the position group room. And then he has a quote today on Tuesday where he says it's on the leaders and veterans of the team to get the team back on track. I mean, I sure sounds like he's earning the trust and respect back of his players, which he didn't have in the first place. 
for those who don't know, he canceled the team meeting on Monday. He didn't fly back with the team from Cincinnati to Jacksonville. He stayed in Ohio, was at a bar, I, I believe, of his namesake. I, I'm pretty sure he owns the bar, yeah. And was caught on video with a woman pretty much grinding on him. And as Rich Eisen pointed out on his show on Tuesday, there was someone who took a video, created a Twitter account to get the video out there. The Twitter account is now gone. <laughs> it's like a hit piece. This is actually kind of like a hit piece. This is legitimately like, uh, you know how you watch old movies or movies about old time Hollywood and there's like the... We want to we want to take a, a dirty picture of an actor or an actress so that we can cop, put them in a compromising position and then we can blackmail them or whatever or, or ruin their career. We'll never hear from them again. That's what this feels like. This feels like someone set Urban Meyer up. They said to this young woman, hey, go dance with that old guy over there. Uh, and so she did. And then they took a video of it and then posted it. And there were some pictures involved as well. And and, and now they're going to just get him fired because they don't like Urban Meyer. And like, I'm, I'm here for the firing of Urban Meyer. I can't stand the guy either. So I'm like, I'm cool with that. But at the same time, it does sort of feel like a bit of a hit piece. But aside from that, this is just sort of boggles my mind with this one as a head coach in the NFL, a first time head coach in the NFL, Aside from, you know, all of a sudden falling into I'm going to be the head coach of the defending Super Bowl champions and nothing's going to change except for my name is head coach now instead of whoever it was before. That that type of being born on third base. Urban Meyer's head coaching career in the NFL was essentially born on third base. You get the number one pick in the draft, a generational quarterback falls into your lap. You have what I think is probably still a, a somewhat okay defense. They've got pieces in place. And you go in there, born on third base in your head coaching career in the NFL, and you fumble all the way to essentially what's going to be, I guess, Southern California. Is that the direction that he's he's bobbling his career over to? I wonder, does you would USC even want him at this point? Yes. That's true. Yeah. That's a st- stupid questions get, you know, very quick, short answers. I, I They would because it's USC. In terms of Urban Meyer being born on third base in the NFL, since we're both Yankees fans, maybe Phil Nevin was his third base coach. Oh, man. If you know what Ian is talking about, you know how disappointing that was and frustrating it is and, and just infuriating because we are Yankee fans. Oh my gosh! Just Phil Nevin is is one of those guys that needs to lose his job as well, just because he's not good at it. You know, I guess I'm just bad at it is is a line he could say. But man, so many mistakes. I, I digress because we should probably just talk about the Broncos because we'll just get angry. Well, you know what this did? It kept us from talking about this ridiculous conversation for the last two days. Of is Jim Harbaugh right or Vic Fangio right for? running the ball with three seconds left. I mean, come on. It's stupid. If you, the the thing that I will say this, and then we can move on from it. Vic Fangio said on Monday that it was expected. Well, if it was expected, why didn't you stop it? That's fair. That's a fair assessment. Yeah. I, my only take on it is, did I think that Harbaugh should have done that? No. Do, Do I care if it bothers Vic Fangio? No whatever, get over it. it. Player safety on a play like that. If someone gets hurt on a play like that, they probably were going to get hurt the next time they took a step anyway. So whatever. They got their record. It doesn't matter. Fangio is a little salty. That's fine. It's cool. All right. And next, now we can move on to Pittsburgh. Yeah. Uh, on to Pittsburgh here. Uh, speaking of Pittsburgh, man, whew, the, the drop-off for Ben Roethlisberger was precipitous. It was a very sharp angle downward, like out of nowhere, just talentless all of a sudden. And I'm here for it. it I am it, it, it I'm all in on in, that. It put Pittsburgh in a vulnerable position and they, it caught him off guard, I think. Yeah, I, I think that's very fair. And I mean, you know, it's so sad. I mean, it is what a sad. great guy. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful person, that Ben Roethlisberger, who. Uh, just ends up being, yeah, I, I think vulnerable position, you know, just not quite ready for what was coming. You know what I'm saying? 
and uh, it really hit him uh, uh, pretty quickly. And it's a little sloppy, a little messy, and you know that's what happens. That's how you break your hip, I guess. I mean, that's where it is at this point, where they're going with the injury so that they don't have to bench him. I mean, you know it's bad when Mike Tomlin is saying, yeah, there's a hip injury. Hip injury. Yeah, Mm -hmm. he's been thrust into this position, I suppose. Uh, (laughs) All right. We should stop. Uh, (laughs) This is actually an interesting game, though, for the Broncos, I think, because you you do have – um, uh, you have a chance here to bounce back. Pittsburgh is struggling. They do not look like a team that is going to contend in any way, shape, or form. I would almost say, as far as the – I talked about tiers after the loss to the Ravens. Uh, the, the Broncos were not on that elite tier. I, I would argue that Pittsburgh and Denver are very similar. The Steelers and Broncos are on a very similar tier right now with a slightly different quarterback situation, but kind of – uh, you know, the same expected outcomes, which makes this game a little bit more interesting than it would have been if it had just been, well, you know, the Steelers are terrible or the Broncos are terrible. You're actually going to get uh, two bad football teams maybe, and so you, you'll get a fun game out of it. Or it'll be really boring because quarterback play will be bad. I don't know. But it feels like these two teams are a good measure of each other. And so it will be interesting to see how it plays out just to see sort of where the Broncos stand and how far have the, have the Steelers fallen. I think there's two questions to be answered there. In my preview story at playcolorado.com, where the headline is Broncos head to Pittsburgh with more questions than answers, a large part of it is because of the quarterback situation. For the Broncos, we still don't know if Teddy Bridgewater is going to play. But what's fascinating about this is, despite the struggles of the Pittsburgh Steelers, and how bad Ben Roethlisberger has been, the Broncos are still a one-point underdog. That makes sense to me, actually. it, It does. And mainly it makes sense to me because the Broncos are a team that can you really trust them at this point? Yes, they went 3-0 and to start the season, but they played three bad teams, and I know that we tried to uh, sort of – talk around that issue and say, well, you got to play the schedule that's in front of you and you, you can't discount, but you can discount them a little bit. Pittsburgh, on the other hand, I think is a little more established. There's some worry with the the pass attack as far as just the talent of the wide receivers. We saw what happened with the Ravens. Uh, the Ravens picked the Denver Broncos apart and their wide receiver core is uh, not good. And that's how I'll, I'll leave that. So, there, there is going to be some question marks as far as what is this Broncos team, which I think makes them an underdog at this point because you don't know what you're looking at. You don't know what you have. And with the question marks around Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke and what are you going to get out of the quarterback position, if it's Drew Locke, I think they're more than a, than a one-point underdog. I think it's bigger than that. And I agree. I, and I, I said that in the story. If, if Drew Locke is the quarterback, I would expect that line to go up. Yeah, and and I don't want to I don't want to turn this into a bash Drew Lock session because there are going to be people out there that get mad at us and say that we're just doing this because we hate Drew Lock. I don't hate Drew Lock. I want him to have all the success in the world, but he hasn't had it yet, and he hasn't shown me, he hasn't shown me that he can. And at this point, if you if you got done watching that Ravens game and thought, oh yeah, Drew's going to come out and and be amazing, you were watching something that was completely you were in you were in a different universe. You were on the other side of the multiverse where the Broncos are an amazing football team and their quarterback situation is wonderful, and Drew Locke is uh, going to be the next you know Hall of Fame franchise quarterback. That's not what this universe has. This universe has a Drew Locke that might be a serviceable backup. I, th- I think that's maybe the ceiling for him, unless something just clicks out of nowhere and I don't expect that so it will be a a sort of dependent upon what happens with the quarterback position as to what I think is going to happen with this game Uh, as far as the way the game is played I think is the way to say that I think the outcome I have I have a I have an idea of what I think will happen but there's there's a lot going on there and the quarterback position is incredibly important and we still don't know what the status is of Teddy Bridgewater. I think Vic Fangio said on Monday that he could practice later in the week, but he's still in concussion protocol. So we should have an idea by probably Friday if Teddy Bridgewater is going to play. I think Fangio will have an idea probably before that 
because their first practice of the week is when people are going to be listening to this podcast. So they'll practice on Wednesday. Should get a better idea on Thursday of whether or not he's going to be able to go, I think, because Friday is just a walkthrough. And they changed it up this year. The Broncos actually leave for their road trips on Friday now. So they travel to the city they play in on Friday so that they have a full two nights to get ready for the time zone change or whatever it is that they do. So I, I, I'm, a, I'm with you. I, I think a lot of this is going to be dependent upon who the quarterback is, and that's regardless of who the quarterback is for the Steelers. So, And the thing that's interesting about this is when we were talking about the schedule and games that the Broncos need to win to become a playoff team, we didn't have this Pittsburgh Steelers game as one of them because we all thought that the Pittsburgh Steelers and Ben Roethlisberger were going to be better than this. Well, the Steelers have now lost three straight games, and they haven't really been close in any of them. They somehow beat the Bills in Buffalo. I think that was more about the Bills than anything else. Does that feel like, just not to cut you off, but doesn't that feel like just a completely different season? Like, that game doesn't represent anything else from the 2021 season. Like, it's it doesn't belong. You know, one of these things is not like the other. That is the thing. Though It's like, What? So not well, to cut you off, but that just is from nowhere, right? There's a second game that does that, though. How the Green Bay Packers looked right. against the New Orleans Saints that <laughs> opening week, and now they look like the Green Bay Packers. So, but I, if the Broncos want to get into playoff contention, if they want to be a playoff team, this is a game they have to win because it, it's a winnable game. Yeah. Obviously, a lot of it is going to depend on the quarterback situation for the Broncos. But this, even if even if Drew Locke plays, and if it's Mason Rudolph or Dwayne Haskins, this is a winnable football game. They need to win it if they want to be a playoff team. Yeah, I totally agree with that, and and it's interesting because they can. I think they can win with Drew Locke as the quarterback. I I don't want to discount what Drew Locke can and can't do. So I'm not going to say, well, if Drew Locke's the quarterback, they can't win because I, I I don't believe that. I believe that uh, they can go out and win the game if Drew Locke is the quarterback, but it will take more than just Drew Locke being good, right? I, I mean, obviously you want Drew Locke to be good, but he's got to be put in a position to succeed. And the other thing that's going to have to happen is they're, they're going to have to get some help uh, on the offensive line, we haven't talked about it yet, but it looks like maybe Dalton Reisner will be back. You had mentioned that to me before we started recording. That helps Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater, whoever the quarterback is uh, against the Steelers, which is a big deal. It also helps the run game, which will be huge in controlling the clock and the tempo of the game. They need to get that going as well. So those two things just in general will be important to seeing if, not just seeing if, but actually implementing a plan that can be successful. And that's, I think, maybe the biggest question mark because Pat Shermer didn't necessarily implement a very good plan against the Ravens, whether Teddy Bridgewater was the quarterback or Drew Locke. There wasn't, there wasn't a plan there that seemed like it was going to be successful. Great against terrible teams, awful against a really good team, now you've got this sort of weird enigma of the Steelers. What will Pat Shermer draw up? How will that work? Because I have faith in the in the uh, defense. I, I still do. I have no problem with the defense. It's it's the offense that is the huge question mark that will continue to follow this team and has been following this team for several seasons now. You mentioned Pat Shermer. And I don't remember if we talked about this on the podcast or not. It was in my winners and losers. On 16 carries, the combo of Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams finished with 104 yards. Both averaged over six yards per carry. But as soon as Drew Locke went into the game, they ran it four times. For a quarterback who didn't get any reps and came off the bench cold, Drew Locke threw the ball 21 times when he came into the game against the Ravens. That's not a recipe for success. That's not putting your your unit your offensive guys in a position to win football games. That needs to change on Sunday. And I think that's exactly what you were saying. And I agree with you completely. If Drew Locke is going to win this game, he needs his coaching staff to be better. 
He needs the players around him to be better. All of it needs to be better than it was against the Ravens. Absolutely. And it's interesting, you know, you bring up the running attack specifically, and I happen to be sitting there today during my plan period, which is first period, which is nice. I start my day with a break and I go on Twitter and I know that I have a chance to possibly see Javante Williams get a, an award from Good Morning Football. Now, I'm not a huge Good Morning Football fan, but they have some fun segments that I like. Uh, and one of them that they do is the Angry Runs segment. And I want to shout Javante Williams out on this. He was given the Angry Run Award. And if you haven't seen the clip of, of Good Morning Football when they award this, first of all, Kyle Brandt goes crazy when he does angry runs so apparently that's like a very exciting fun thing that I was exhausted after watching I even tweeted it out but watching Javante Williams run the football and then thinking to myself he did that and then Drew Locke went in the game and they only ran the ball four times you just you just watched your rookie running back essentially carry an entire Ravens defense on his back for like 19 yards and then you only ran the ball four times? How is that a, a sufficient game plan? It wasn't like when Drew Locke went in, the game was so far out of hand that they had to throw the ball over and over and over again. So when you get to the Pittsburgh game, and because that's what we have to talk about here, we want to tie that all back in. When you get to what's going on with the Steelers, if Pat Shermer goes out there and he's got Drew Locke as the quarterback because of a Teddy Bridgewater concussion and you don't see them running the football over and over again and establishing that, that that should raise some serious red flags about whether or not Pat Shermer should still be the offensive coordinator. And I don't want to be the guy that after four weeks of a football season is now calling for the offensive coordinator's job when they're three and one. That is not what I want to do here. And so it's not really what I'm doing, but I am sort of being, I don't know what the word is here. I'm, I'm sort of looking at that from the perspective of a realist. Like if that's what you're going to get from your offensive coordinator, is that the guy you want being your offensive coordinator? I, I cannot imagine going up against this Pittsburgh Steelers team and making the choice to throw the ball that many times when you've got two good running backs and a pretty good offensive line that can move the football and hold on to it and maintain possession and all of those things because this is probably going to be like a field position battle and a time of possession battle. Don't don't chuck the ball around the field and go three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out. I don't I don't want to live in 2020 anymore. I, I we've moved on from that. Pat Shermer needs to as well. Well, especially when you have T.J. Watt on the opposite side, who will own whoever it is he's going against. If it's Bobby Massey or Garrett Bowles, you're, yes. you're, you're not. You're, it's T.J. You're Watt. Just, you're not going to have success blocking T.J. Watt. It's T.J. So Watt. you're gonna you're gonna put your quarterback at risk. And the last time Drew Locke played in Pittsburgh, he got hurt. I, I believe T.J. Watt was the person who hurt him, if I'm not mistaken. If it wasn't him, it was Bud Dupree. So I, I believe Bud Dupree is what the Panthers now. But you still have a T, you still have a Watt that you have to block, and most people can't. So utilize, try to take him away by running the football. I mean, seems that seems like such a logical thing to say. Yet I guarantee you're sitting there thinking the exact same thing I'm thinking. And everyone listening to this is thinking it. They're going to throw the ball over and over again, and they're not going to rely on the run, and it's going to really ruin my Sunday. <laughs> Just listen. If you don't follow Jeff Legwald on Twitter, you should. Because anytime Pat Shermer goes to three wideouts, it's basically like Jeff Legwald throwing his computer out the window, that GIF or GIF yes. or whatever. It's the guy throwing his – or uh, Ron Swanson from Parks and Rec where he picks up he, – he looks at what was on the computer screen, Dumps picks it up and garbage. throws it into the trash can. <laughs> That's literally what Jeff Legwald does every time Pat Shermer goes to three wideouts. Dude if they run three wideouts against the Steelers on Sunday, it's going to be a long day. It's, it is. It absolutely is. And, you know, I, I – 
I'm hope I'm hopeful. I am hopeful. I, I, I'm not sure it's going to be as, as bad as it could be, but I don't think that this game is going to be, uh, I, I don't see a huge offensive, uh, barn burner, if you will. Uh, this is going to be from either a, team <laughs> from either team. That's right. This is going to be a bit of a slug fest. So, um, why don't we jump into it here and let's, I mean, unless we've got other news we need to touch on or anything like that, there's no, no major injuries that we have to hit on, but anything else? Well, what's funny is you talking about it's not really going to be an offensive barn burner. The over under that I have in my story, I have I have live odds, so it it adjusts as soon as the sports books make an adjustment. The over under is now at thirty nine and a half. That's not that's not a lot. I mean, for it to be under forty, I mean, really, <laughs> in an NFL game, you yeah. don't think that both teams are going to get more than. 40 points. I mean, I don't, but we'll, we'll get to that when we do our predictions. So, all right, let's, let's do it this way. Let's, let's go ahead and jump into what we normally do here and, and talk about our keys to the game, because this is where, this is where it gets interesting because we, we've talked about it a little bit already. Drew Locker, Teddy Bridgewater, that's going to make a difference in some way, in some respect, but how is that going to change things? So I guess, I'll, I'll let you go with it to start. What is your key to the game for this one? The Denver defense has to take away Pittsburgh's running game. Pittsburgh is dead last in yards per game in the NFL offensively. They are averaging 55.3 yards per game. The Broncos, conversely, are fifth in rushing defense, allowing 70. I don't think they can allow more than 70. It needs to be less than that because they have to take away Pittsburgh's running game. They have to make whoever the quarterback is for the Pittsburgh Steelers. That offense has to be one dimensional. If Najee Harris gets going, it's going to be a long day, but make the Pittsburgh Steelers one dimensional, regardless if it's Roethlisberger, Rudolph or Dwayne Haskins, because if it's one dimensional, that brings more success and possibilities of Von Miller and Malik Reed and that pass rush wreaking havoc, thus allowing the secondary to make plays on the ball. And that's how you get turnovers and put your offense in a position to have success, regardless of who your quarterback is. But for me, it starts and stops with the running game and you and making sure that Pittsburgh is one-dimensional. Yeah, it's a really good point. I'm going to kind of not necessarily piggyback off of it, but my key to the game is sort of a twofold key to the game because it does depend on who the quarterback is, in my opinion. If if it's Teddy Bridgewater, I don't think the the offensive game plan looks any different than it has over the course of the last four weeks. Maybe you want to do you want to execute better than you did against uh, (laughs) against the Ravens, but the offense should look similar to what it looked like against the Jets, Jags, and Giants, and so. You've got to be able to put points on the board. You need to control the clock. You need to let Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams, who we just talked about, set the pace and then also give Teddy Bridgewater the opportunity to stretch the field, hit Cortland Sutton or Tim Patrick on some long passes, maybe draw some uh, pass interference calls, those kinds of things. However, on the flip side of that, if Locke is the quarterback, then the playbook has to be limited. You have to focus on not turning the ball over You play the field position game and let the defense win it for you. What that means is the key to the game is really Pat Shermer here and how he chooses to call the offense. Because if he calls the offense in a way that is like it was against the Ravens in the second half with Drew Locke throwing the ball a gajillion times and then they only ran it four, that is not a recipe for success as we have seen. And if Teddy Bridgewater's in the game, you still don't want to have a huge disparity between running and throwing. You want to run the football to be able to control the clock and set the pass up. And that would allow both quarterbacks to be able to stretch the field. So it it does. I think it really does come down to how well Pat Shermer calls the game. Can he put together a game plan that will put whoever the quarterback is in a position to be successful? Or are we just going to watch them chuck and pray for an hour and hopefully they'll put up some points? And I think that I, I think that leads into our player to watch. It's not it's not a player, at least <laughs> offensively. It's Pat Shermer. 
Yeah, I mean, just so a person to watch, we can go with that for this, is obviously Pat Shermer. I think you're absolutely right because he's the one who's going to essentially control what happens on the offense, whether it's good or bad. He's the guy you're going to be able to point to and say, well, the game plan wasn't great. And again, I'm not advocating for his job. I'm not saying that he's terrible. I'm just saying that what we saw in the second half against the Ravens was indicative of a of a guy who – didn't have a plan for when his plan got blowed up. And and that's going to be something that you have to think about. But let's talk about actual players to watch as well because I, I think that's important. And, I, and I'm just going to go first this time. And for me on offense, it's the running game. It's Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams. Can they be dominant? Can they control the football? Can they do what is necessary to set either quarterback up for success? If they can, I think the Broncos are able to – possibly get a win if they can't then I think the Broncos are more likely to walk away with another loss on their on their season mine is on the offensive line you mentioned that Dalton Reisner looks like he's going to be back I don't know about Graham Glasgow last I saw there really wasn't an update on his status what are they going to do with TJ Watt are they going to have a tight end chip are they going to have uh, Beck come in as a fullback and potentially help out in that regard, is that something that they have to take care of or he is going to destroy this football game? Um, so for me, it's about the offensive line. You mentioned Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon. I think the guys up front have to own the day. They have to be able to give protection to Teddy Bridgewater or Drew Locke, and they have to open up running lanes. If they want to have success offensively, it's, it's predicated on the running game because a lot of what Teddy Bridgewater does is play action. And if they can't run the football, there's no point in doing play action. So to me, it's on the offensive line. And and what kind of showing do they put forth against what I feel like is still a really good Pittsburgh defense who's going to come up with, as they always have, even though Dick LeBeau is still not there, they still have unique blitzes. They have unique looks that are going to try to confuse the quarterback and the offensive line. So how does the how does the offensive line counter that, and what do they do to try to slow and contain T.J. Watt? Yeah, it's a really good point. Uh, defensively, uh, again, I'm just going to jump in. I think it's Shelby Harris. I think Shelby Harris in the in the defensive line, but Shelby Harris in particular, um, he's kind of the leader of that group. He's the guy that we look to as uh, on that defensive line, that defensive front, getting a push, getting your hand in the in the quarterback's face, stopping the run. That's that's where this game is going to be won, is disrupting the rhythm of whichever quarterback it is because we don't know who it's going to be. And at the same time, just being a run stuffer, not allowing Pittsburgh to get the run game going, not allowing Najee Harris to, to really uh, establish himself in this game. And that's going to start with that defensive front. And for me, it's Shelby Harris and what he's doing. Uh, I, I, to be quite honest, it's not a name we've heard en- enough of, I think, this season. Not that it's been a, a huge detriment, but I'd like to see him have one of those big uh, Shelby Harris-type games. And so he's going to be my player to watch. Uh, I believe the last time they played Pittsburgh, he he won the game with an interception. So, uh, you know, that that's not too bad. Let's see if we can get maybe a repeat of that. I don't know. For me, it's the front. I mean, if my key to the game is stopping the run of Pittsburgh, it's the front for the Denver Broncos. And that includes the defensive line, Shelby Harris, and the linebackers, Grenade and uh, Alexander Johnson. So and to me, it's it's the defensive front. If if they're gonna if they're gonna come out of Pittsburgh with a big win, it's gonna be because of the defensive front. Totally agree. Totally agree. And then also watch Von Miller because he's fun to watch. And maybe a little PS2. Sertan was a little dinged up. I know that uh, that was another thing that we haven't really um, talked about at this point, but he actually came out of that game, uh, with a, a slight injury. Is that maybe the way to say that? So, uh, just, just if you're watching, want to watch something else on defense, I'd like to see Von Miller, uh, get a few sacks. That'd be fun. And then also see how PST's PST PS2 is doing, uh, Patrick Sertan game. For me, go for it. In addition to that, I, we talked about how the secondary was shredded on Sunday by Lamar Jackson. I'm curious to see how they play because, I, I mean, we said it on the postgame recap, Receivers, the, the Steelers have better receivers than the Ravens do. Now, obviously, I don't think they have a quarterback that's on par with Lamar Jackson anymore, 
but they still have some very good receivers. So that's something to keep an eye on. And that's another reason why I think it's so important to make that offense one dimensional. Absolutely. All right. You got a game prediction. I do. I wrote mine down before we started. I'll say that the Broncos regroup flex its defensive muscles and get a big road win that keeps their playoff hopes alive. I don't think it's going to hit the over. I think it's going to be a really tight game. I'll go with, 2013 20 to 13 Broncos okay uh, I'm not as confident as you are uh, I still have them winning but I'm not giving them that extra field goal I'm going 17 13 I think it's I think it's close and I I also think that they're probably gonna have to shut down a Pittsburgh drive at the end uh, again maybe a Shelby Harris uh, interception in the end zone might be fun might, might be fun to see history repeat itself I, I do think that's always fun so yeah I've got 17 13 you've got 20 to 13 but I think we both feel like the Broncos can pull this game out uh, and, and get a win. So, um, Regardless of who we'll the quarterback happens, right? is. Yeah, regardless of who the quarterback is. Although we thought they could beat the Ravens too. The euphoria of 3-0. and All right, let's do this. Uh, we'll uh, take a quick break. When we come back, we'll do our look at the AFC West and our whip around the league. Uh, and then we will uh, say go Broncos. This episode is made possible by PwC. It's getting hot out here. Moving the mercury can help move your business. PwC helps turn sustainability theory into real-world action. Reduce your carbon footprint while increasing transparency in net-zero commitments. Start with reporting to identify your climate risks and reinvent your business. Create a more sustainable business and a stronger planet. It's all part of the new equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. Adam, as we get started with the whip around the league, there's one game that stands out and not for a good reason. The Jets and Falcons in London. Isn't the job of the NFL to promote the sport? Why in God's name are fans in London subjected to the Jets and the Falcons? (laughs) That's a great question. That's a good question for Dublin to Denver. I mean, I think that they would, uh, they, they, they probably should have a problem with this. And I, and I totally agree with you. Like, this is not how you sell your game or promote your product. Uh, you know, it would be like uh, Coca-Cola going into a new market and then trying to sell everybody uh, new Coke because, you know, because <laughs> oh, that, that's a flashback. Yeah, right? <laughs> so, uh, or who who would like to try this crystal clear Pepsi? Uh, nobody. It's weird. It's it's clear. Why? Uh, even how about though, Jolt Cola. Oh, oh, yeah. So, so you know, or some Surge some surge cola remember surge i mean but this is this is poor product placement i mean you you've got some games this week that would have been i think stellar for a showcase in london in fact the game on thursday night rams and seahawks so before we even jump into the afc west stuff i think that Rams seahawks game would have been great in london in fact play jets falcons on thursday because i really don't care about thursday night football and so whatever and play that Rams Seahawks game in London. That's a that's a perfect flip flop there. And now you've got a good product on the field, probably a very good game, and it's not on stupid Thursday night. Maybe the the thought behind it is, well, let's get two bad teams and see how excited they still get. If they'll come out for this, they'll come out for anything. That's a that's actually a, a really uh, interesting way to look at that, um, and it's got to be true, right? If you're going to show up to watch this football game, these two piles of hot garbage mushing together in the garbage can, then you'll watch anything. And uh, yeah, I think that's a fair way to look at it. I doubt the NFL had that much foresight. That's just that's just my own opinion on that. So well, especially since they can't define a catch. Yeah, when they figure that out, then maybe they'll figure out marketing. I, I, I suppose. So, all right, let's let's take a look at the AFC West, though. Some interesting games. You got Bears Raiders. Um, are, are the as Raiders I told good? You, as I told you during the break, there are going to be a blank ton of Bears fans in Vegas. Like, yeah. I mean, that, that's. The game between the Chargers and the Raiders is probably the last home game the Raiders are going to have because, I mean, people are going to want to go to Vegas and watch their football team. 
They can make a weekend trip out of it. And that's the amount of time that you want to spend in Vegas. Oh, without question. In fact, it's one of those things that I think is really funny about all this. Um, I have been hearing for months now about people who are going to Vegas for this game because I live in the Chicagoland area. I have lots of friends who are Bears fans, and many of them are flying into Las Vegas. In fact, I know a a few people who are leaving tomorrow. Uh, They're going to make a longer trip out of it. I'm like, you can't go to Vegas for that many days. It's not good for you. Three, five days is too long. Three, three, three days is perfect. You show up on Friday. Three, three to four. Yeah, you show up on Friday. You show up on Friday night, by the way. I'm a big fan of showing up on Friday night. And then you so have, you see the strip as you fly you into McCarran. Exactly. And then you, you have all day Saturday to lounge by the pool. Then you hit the casino on Saturday night. Then you lounge by the pool on Sunday or tailgate, if you want, on Sunday. And then you go to the game Sunday. Then you wake up on Monday and you leave. So you get Monday off. You take Friday off because what are you, stupid? You, you, you're you there Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. And then you leave Monday late morning-ish if you can so that you get home and you get to spend the rest of Monday uh, relaxing before you got to go to work on Tuesday. That's how you do that trip. And I, I don't know, maybe I just described a potential uh, MHR radio trip to Vegas when the Broncos play the Raiders. Just a thought, just throwing it out there. One slight alteration. Instead okay. of a casino, it's a sports book. I'm fine. Hey, yeah. Because we have college football. That's so you true. spend your Saturday, whether you go to whatever sports book it is, Circus Sports, Superbook, BetMGM, at God, the 800 casinos that the MGM Resorts owns in Las Vegas now, or the Caesars of the 400 casinos they own along the strip. You can go to the Caesars Sportsbooks, but I would say sports books, especially on a Saturday for college football. I'm, hey, I'm I'm in on that too. All I know is that uh, I don't have to work Friday or or Monday, right? That's the that's the way we've got it worked out there. Uh, but yeah, that is going to be uh, an interesting game. I, I asked you as we started this: Are the Raiders good? Uh, are the Raiders no. good? No, no. You're still on the no there. They got uh, to me. They got so lucky against the Ravens. I think they played a bad Pittsburgh team. And I don't even remember who else they've beaten. The Dolphins? Oh, I mean, and, and they went into overtime against the Dolphins, and they needed a blatant defensive pass interference call, not called by the back judge who was literally staring at the play in the end zone to beat the Dolphins. So, no, the Raiders are not for real. They're not good. And we can end this ridiculous conversation of Derek Carr being an MVP candidate. Yikes! Yeah, no, but I don't, they're not good. I don't know if they lose to the to the Bears. That's just the Bears have a good defense. They so. do have a good defense, but their offense is. Look, Matt Nagy still wants uh, Andy Dalton to be his quarterback, which I don't which understand. Which is hilarious. It's like, okay, dude, whatever. But uh, yeah, I I I I do think they eventually lose a bunch of games. I'm just not sure it's this one. Uh, then the other one that that's kind of intriguing with the Chargers and the Browns. I think, and I, I can't believe I'm going to say this to you, and I don't like it, and it feels icky and weird. I think Chargers season may have extended itself into the actual regular season, and they might they might be legitimate. Oh, they're legit. I mean, that defense and that offense, but the thing that makes the Chargers, Brandon Staley. Holy smokes, this guy does not care if it's fourth and one or fourth and eight. He will go <laughs> for it. On I love it. Like, I mean, I hate it because it's the Chargers, but this team is legit, and the thing that makes them legit is Justin Herbert. Yep. And I tweeted it out. The idea of having to face Patrick Mahomes and now Justin Herbert for the next decade, Michael Michael Scott gif, nope, don't like that. Yeah, no thank you. No thank you indeed. Uh, Yeah, Justin Herbert's the real deal. He, he is. He's sorry. He's the real deal. And it's frustrating as all get out. And you're absolutely right about that. And then I you think you know who else is the real deal. Eaton product, Austin Eckler. Yes, he is. Eaton product, Austin Eckler. If you don't know where Eaton is, it's uh just northeast of Greeley, northwest of Greeley. I honestly By about get, 10 minutes. It's 10 minutes away from Greeley where we grew up. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, we, I played Eaton in high school. We played the Eaton Reds in all sports, beat them in, uh, 
and many times in different things, and they beat us many times in different things. They're very good out there. Uh, I can't believe I just said that as they were often considered our biggest rival. Um, but uh, yeah, Austin Eckler, man, he's, he's a he's a legit uh, talent in the NFL, and and somebody I wish I had drafted for my fantasy team. What a miss on I that did. one. And I and Brian Greasy actually pointed it out, which I can't believe I'm giving Brian Greasy credit. <laughs> Austin Eckler is now in the conversation for best running back in football. He, He's yeah. up there with Austin Kamara and Christian McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott. I, Austin Eckler is absolutely in that nick, in that uh, classification, and I love his nickname, Pound for Pound. Yeah, PFP. That's a great one. That's that's absolutely a great one. So, did you see the the highlight that ESPN had of him doing one armed pull ups? I like. I I, I, I can't that. do. I can't do two armed pull-ups. This guy yeah. was doing one armed pull-ups. I, you know what? When I was 19, I could do one armed pull. I, I can remember doing one armed pull-ups at 19. Uh, it was a long time ago and I couldn't, if I tried to hang with one arm, I would probably just fall and break something at this point. So uh, I don't think I could do it if I was on a trampoline. Uh, I, I think I could do it if I was on a trampoline and it was also one that was, um, it was, you know, where I, I didn't have to jump. Actually, I could just stand up and then I would be over the bar. That would, that, that would be the, the requirement for me. I would need to be able to just stand up several times, but then at that point you're doing squats. And do I really want to do squats? Not really. No. All right. And game, game of the week, <laughs> game of the week, uh, bills, bills and chiefs. The bills are heading into arrowhead. Uh, the bills are uh, aside from a fluky game to start the season, which we've mentioned, they are maybe the best looking team in the NFL by far. And I know that sounds crazy to say, cause you've got Tampa Bay and you've got, uh, you know, you've got, well, Tampa the Bay, you've got the Cardinals and what they've done. I thought the Rams were going to be that. And then they, you know, pooed themselves, but you've got some really good teams in the NFL, but the bills, man, they just are, I I'm sorry. They're going to be very difficult to beat. And I think this, this will be a huge game for the chiefs sitting at two and two. They're supposed to go to the the Super Bowl. They're the AFC defending champs. Like, I, I don't know if they can't get past the Bills. I'm not saying that that the 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 Chiefs are out of the playoff picture, but it's pretty telling what what the uh, where the power shift has come uh, in the AFC. The thing that's interesting about this game is the Bills have a defense. The Chiefs do not. If this gets into a shootout, I I think I'm gonna line, I'm gonna lean on the team that has a defense before I go with the Chiefs because we saw what happened when they played the Chargers. I mean, it was still close, but you have a defense that has the potential to shut down the Kansas City Chiefs, and the thing that makes them an offense that you can slow down and shut down is that it's predicated on Tyreek Hill. They have one receiver. You take Tyreek Hill out of the equation, they don't do anything. Because, what, are you going to get beat by Mikel Hardman or a guy named Pringle? You know, once I mean, he pops, I, he can't stop. It's just the way it is. I mean, I think you'll I think you'll allow Patrick Mahomes to throw the ball 10 times to Travis Kelsey, which is weird because, okay, I know that, didn't he say that his name was Kels? I don't know. I I, I don't. I mean, that I, just proves to you how much of an idiot he is. I, I just don't he even care. Even know about how to him. say his own name. <laughs> I just don't even care about him. Like I just, he's not on my fantasy team, so I don't care. And he plays for a team that I hate, so I really don't care. Uh, you know, it's it's Travis Kelsey, and it's always going to be Travis Kelsey, and he's a big dumb idiot, isn't he, folks? That's just the way it is to me. What's interesting about this is obviously the Chiefs are the favorite. Spread, they're two and a half. And some of the books have it like FanDuel and BetMGM have it at three. I might be a game that I take a flyer on because the Bills have a defense, but they also have an offense led by Josh Allen. And they're going to want the revenge of playing Kansas City in the playoffs last year. Uh, you know what? You're absolutely right. This is a game I might I might throw a bet down on. Because it's it seems like this would be one I could win. Although I've I've been on a, a pretty big losing streak recently. I got to stop going with all the 
the the single game parlays and trying to throw something together that we've talked about this. I put like $1 down on something that if it hits, I'll win like 200 bucks, but there's just no way it's going to hit. And so I'm really just spending a dollar to spend a dollar, I suppose. Um, but this one might be one where I might put like an actual bet down and, and, and take the bills on this one just because they are as good as they are. The only question that you might have is, will they throw out another stinker at some point like they did to open the season? They might, they, they very well could, but you know, here's hoping that they, they don't, if you're going to make that bet. And also because I hate the chiefs and would like to see them lose. You mentioned, you mentioned the parlays and while they're fun as someone who we say it all the time as someone who covers the industry, building multi-game parlays is very risky and it, I the sports books con- constantly tweet out the 15 or 16 leg parlays that are one leg away from hitting. Keep in mind that's like winning the lottery. The odds of it hitting are so astronomical. Even a seven leg parlay is very risky. Like if you did just a straight seven leg money line parlay on the favorites to win, that's still risky because you don't know what is going to happen. It's the NFL. So while while parlays are fun, I've built them. I did it with Major League Baseball. I've done it with the NFL. Multi-leg parlays are very risky. I do like one-game parlays. They're fun because you're you're just basically saying this is going to happen, this is going to happen. It's a, it's a it's a fun way to add to the game, but multi-leg parlays on money line or spread very risky. So keep that in mind if you do it. And Absolutely. if you're going to bet and I will add this, if you're going to bet the Bills and the Chiefs since the spread is so small, the better market value is on the money line. There you go. That's good advice right there. All right. What are some there's there's gotta be a couple other games to to look at that might be interesting for everybody. So now that we're done with the AFC West, what what other games might you be interested in just watching? I'm looking at the Packers and the Bengals. At, are the Bengals for real? I mean, they're at home, but they're facing Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. I think this has the potential to be a very good game. The other game I'm looking at is 49ers-Cardinals. What does Trey Lance look like if he plays? If Jimmy Garoppolo starts, I don't think the 49ers have a shot. I don't think they have a shot regardless of who of who the quarterback is. And then Rams-Seahawks, you mentioned it at the top of this segment. How do the Rams rebound after getting beat by Kyler Murray and the Cardinals? And not just beat. They got smacked in the mouth. So how do the Rams look on Thursday night? You've been listening to Mile High Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com. And as always, go Broncos.